beginning in verse 10. Genesis 11.10. These are the records of the generations of Shem. Shem was 100 years old and became the father of Arpachsad two years after the flood. Now Shem lived 500 years after he became the father of Arpachsad and he had other sons and daughters. Arpachsad lived 35 years and became the father of Shelah. And Arpachshad lived 403 years after he became the father of Shelah, and he had other sons and daughters. Now, Shelah lived 30 years and became the father of Eber. By the way, Eber is where we get the name Hebrews, the people of Eber, the, the Ebers, Hebrews. And uh, Shelah lived 400 years, became the father of Eber, and he had other sons and daughters. Eber lived 34 years and became the father of Peleg. And Eber lived 430 years after he became the father of Peleg, and he had other sons and daughters. Peleg! lived 30 years and became the father of Ru. And Peleg lived 209 years after he became the father of Ru and he had other sons and daughters. Ru lived 32 years and became the father of Serug. And Ru lived 207 years after he became the father of Serug and he had other sons and daughters. Excited yet? <laughs> Keep going. Serug lived 30 years and he became the father of Nahor. And Serug lived 200 years after he became the father of Nahor and he had other sons and daughters. Nahor lived 29 years and became the father of Terah. Terah. And Nahor lived 119 years after he became the father of Terah, and he had other sons and daughters. And Terah lived 70 years and became the father of Abram, who would later be Abraham. We've just made it from the beginning of Genesis all the way up. Genealogically, we are now at the point where Abraham enters the picture. I wanted to read that to you because so often when we study the Bible and when people think about Genesis and those old stories, we can't figure out who came first and where they were and who the people were in, in the line. It's very clear and the Bible lays it out. It takes us all the way from Adam to Abraham. From Adam to Abraham was a period of about 2,000 years. Okay? So tuck that away in your minds. As some of you know, I am a kind of a news buff. I can sit there for literally hours and just flip between the four major news stations and listen and compare and drive Cheryl nuts, especially during the Democratic primaries going on right now with all the talking heads. And it does get a little old. Wednesday night after Bible study, I came down to the house and I flipped on Fox News and I was listening to them talk and blah, 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 blah. Who's going to win? You know, Dean's out, Dean's in. You know, and it's the whole thing is just it's a little redundant. And I was just about to turn off the TV and head to bed when there was a news alert that came on. Jerusalem, 9 a.m. Thursday morning. This had just happened. It's uh, later there. January 29th, 2004. On the same day that 400 plus Lebanese terrorists, guerrillas from Hezbollah, were being released by Israel in a German brokered exchange. On that day, now interesting by the way, in the same deal, Hezbollah was getting 400 terrorists back. Israel got one Jewish businessman and the remains of three soldiers in that deal. But on the day that that was to happen, during rush hour in Jerusalem on Gaza Street near Prime Minister Ariel Sharon's house, another suicide, homicide bomb went off. The bomber, a Palestinian police officer described as a quiet, devout Muslim, blew himself to bits and pieces on a packed bus. He killed 10 Israelis, 50 others were injured wounded badly. Body parts were said to have flown through and into nearby buildings. It was the most violent attack in Israel in the last four months. Now, all I could think as I sat there watching this, and they were panning around in the cameras and, and literally blew the lid of the bus right off. 
there were still bodies in the bus. This was, this was breaking news. So I was seeing things that I don't think the next day they, they would be showing as the cameras were trying to pan around. It was, it was horrifying. And I watched this and two things came to mind. First of all, I thought, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come soon. We need you badly. But the other thing that I thought is, as we have been studying Genesis, it just amazes me that the violence, the terror that is going on between the Palestinians and the Jews, between the Arabs and the Jews, it goes back all the way to Genesis. Now, if you're going to be studying through in this, you'll see it. As we get into Genesis 12, 13, 14, 15, you're going to start to see the division happening between Arabs and Jews. Why and what does that have to do with the genealogical record we just read? That genealogy belongs to both Jews and Arabs, the Shemitic people. The people of Shem. They have the same root, the same fathers. The same Shemitic blood flows through the Arabs and the Jews, and yet the tension, the hatred is intense. Why can't the Jews and the Arabs get along? Why can't they just get along? And folks, everyone has tried to fix the problem. Everyone who's tried to get involved with Jerusalem and solve the problems there has ended up reeling. Which scripture said that's exactly what would happen. The roadmap to peace, Bush's roadmap to peace right now is falling to pieces and will continue to and anyone who knows their Bible understands that it will. Zechariah chapter 12 verse 2 tells us, Behold, I am going to make Jerusalem a cup that causes reeling to all the peoples around. It will come about in that day that I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the peoples. All who lift it will be severely injured. Now, for generations, folks, that verse made no sense. Because for generations, Jerusalem was a podunk backwater town when the Jews were kicked out in AD 70 and eventually after that even more so when they were driven from the land and were not allowed to reside there any longer. Jerusalem became the armpit of the Middle East. There was nothing there. It was desolate. And Bible scholars and, and people who studied prophecy for generations looked at Jerusalem. They would read verses like, Jerusalem's going to be a cup that causes reeling. Come on, that's ridiculous. And yet right now, Jerusalem is a city divided. It's not just divided, by the way, between Jews and Arabs. It's also divided between Christians. You've got the Muslim quarter. You've got the Christian quarter. You've got the Jewish quarter. But within the Christian quarter, you've got separations and divisions. Some of you know, we talked about this a while ago, that in Bethlehem, in the church of the Nativity, people going, go there expecting to have some beautiful, wonderful experience, and they go into the church of Nativity only to find out that that very church is divided. Why can't we just get along? You know, the pundits and the talking heads and, and us as Americans, we can sit over here on this side of the water and look at the Middle East and go, well, they're just all hotheads over there. I mean, they, they just haven't figured it out. But we could get along if we were over there. Really. How well are we doing as Americans getting along? Think about the divisions in our country. Male versus female divisions. Political divisions, which are quite obvious. What about the racial divide? The racism that is so deep that, that we, we really think, no, I'm not a racist, I don't see racism around. And yet when you pull black people and white people over certain issues, for example, the Mac Michael Jackson trial, or other trials of recent memory, when you poll, you get two absolutely different perspectives. Why can't we just get along? Why is there so much division? And you may even wonder that in your own life. Why are there people I can't get along with? Why are there just people who, I, I try as I might, I don't like them? <laughs> 
Why are there people that no matter what happens, we just need to butt heads? Why can't we just get along? Well, if you this morning need your own roadmap to peace, we have one, and it's called the Bible. And in God's Word, we have the truth that, that can show us how to get along. I love Psalm 119.105. You've heard the verse, I'm sure. Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Don't forget that. When life is getting difficult, don't forget that God's Word is the light. It is the lamp. It is the road map that we all are seeking to peace. We're going to get into Genesis 11, starting in verse 1 now, and look at the Tower of Babel. And see, maybe get some answers as to why we have been so divided. And see if we can understand this a little better. As we get into this, let's stop just for a moment and pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this morning. What a blessing it is, Father, for us to be here together and to sing these songs together. And again, I, Lord, we've talked about this before, you and I, that it, it amazes me how we come to worship you and we come out feeling better ourselves. We come to lift up your name and to praise you. And the more we praise you and the more we lift you up, the, the greater, the more we're filled up. And thank you. Thank you so much for that. I pray, Lord, right now that you'll be with us. That as we study this interesting story, that you will shed some light, not only on the story in history, but on where we are today. Give us your vision, Father, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Chapter 11, verse 1. Now the whole earth used the same language and the same words. Now, before we go further, and this is the story of the Tower of Babel. Prior to Babel, everyone spoke the same language. It was one language. There is interesting and strong evidence to think that possibly that language was Hebrew. That the original language that Adam had in the garden when he began to name the animals, and that, that went on all the way up to Babel, possibly was Hebrew. What's interesting about that, too, is the resurrection of Hebrew as a language by the modern state of Israel. It's the first time in all history that a dead language has been revived. And that was, by the way, prophesied. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 9 tells us, Then I will restore to the peoples a pure language, that they may call on the name of the Lord to serve Him with one accord. So they spoke the same language, possibly Hebrew, and verse 2 tells us, that it came about as they journeyed east, this is after the flood, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. Shinar is present day Iraq. Just for a little location there. They found a plain in Shinar and settled there. Verse 3, and they said to one another, come, let's make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they used brick for stone and they used tar for mortar. And they said, come, let us build for ourselves a city. And a tower whose top will reach into heaven. And let us make for ourselves a name. Otherwise we will be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. And the Bible tells us the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. Babylon and the Tower of Babel. Babylon means heaven's gate. And Babel, originally Bab-el, meant gate of God or gateway to God. Bab-el. The city and its tower built in the land of Shinar. And it basically, the Tower of Babel was a huge ziggurat. Now, I don't know if you've seen a ziggurat. In the town where I grew up, they actually built an office building. And it was called the ziggurat. And it was built in a ziggurat shape. And it's kind of pyramidal in shape. But it goes up and has different levels on it. Interesting that the whole concept behind a ziggurat is about stargazing. So I'm getting a little ahead of myself here. I want you to know some things about Babel. 
Because again, looking at the history and what was going on and why the people built the Tower of Babel and the city of Babylon, I think will shed some light on where we are today. So three things to know about Babel. And if you want to jot them down, you've got a handout there. There's there's area on the back for taking some notes if you'd like to. But the first thing to know is that Babel was built for astrology. Babel was built for astrology. Verse 4 tells us the people sought to build a tower whose top will reach into heaven. Now there is an old connection here between astrology and paganism, a connection that remains today. Babel was not meant for astronomy, not for the study of the stars, but for astrology. That is the sign of the zodiac and the horoscope. And gang, listen, the distortion of the signs among the stars were all part of the infamous founder of Babylon's plan to propagate a planetary-wide pagan religion. Nimrod. Now, if you study Wednesday night, you know Nimrod is the founder, was the founder of Babel and Babylon. And Nimrod was also the father of paganism. He and his wife, Semiramis, they were the founders of paganism in the world, and it grew right out of what was called the Babylonian paganism, Babylonian mystery religion. This talked about again in Revelation. Genesis 10, verse 10 tells us that Nimrod was a man whose scripture and history, by the way, reveal was all about leading people away from worshiping the Father. That was his drive, his goal. Nimrod was called a mighty hunter before the Lord. Mighty hunter, meaning what did he hunt? He hunted souls. It's not the indication is not animals that he hunted, but that he was a like a great orator. He was a man who could really draw people, and he sought to draw people, and he was a mighty hunter against the Lord. In the face of the Lord, Nimrod's name even means rebel. And so Nimrod said, let's build this tower, and the people began to build this tower, and it was built for, it was built for astrology. Now, the Bible actually has a word or two to say about the stars. You see, everything, as we talked about again Wednesday night, everything that Satan attempts to do is counterfeit to what God has already done. Even astrology is counterfeit to the signs that God intended for the stars to have. Check this out. Genesis chapter 1 verse 14. God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. God ordained the stars to be there for signs. What kind of signs? What are we talking about? Ancient Persian and Arabic tradition attributes the invention of astronomy and looking at the stars and understanding the stars to three men, Adam, Seth, and Enoch. And they gave the stars apparently prophetic names. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 26. Isaiah writes, lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these stars. The one who leads forth their host by number and he calls them all by name. Because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one of them is missing. And Job chapter 38 verse 31 tells us, God speaking to Job, trying to get Job to figure out that God is the one who gives and takes away. God says, can you bind the chains of the Pleiades or loose the cords of Orion? Can you lead forth a constellation in its season and guide the bear with her satellites? The bear being, again, a constellation. Do you know the ordinances of the heavens or fix their rule over the earth? God ordained the stars to exist for signs. Oh, cool. So if I'm into the horoscope, that's all right. Don't confuse the two. There's the reality. There's the counterfeit. God ordains the stars for signs. Satan counterfeits 
with what we see in horoscopes and things like that today. Let me give you an example of this. Hebrew um, has a name for the constellation Virgo, a name that preceded Virgo, and that name was Bethula. And Bethula literally means a virgin. So the Latin then was Virgo. Now in the constellation of Virgo, and this is, this is fascinating to me, little rabbit trail here just, just for you, sir. Brightest star, the brightest star in the constellation of Virgo, or in Hebrew, Bethula. The brightest star is called Zira. Does anybody remember that Hebrew word Zira? Does that ring a bell? It's the word seed. Now why is the word seed the name of the brightest star in a constellation for a virgin? It doesn't make sense. Unless there's something else going on here. The brightest star is Zira. The second brightest star is called Semek, which is a messianic name, Hebrew for branch. Jesus is called the branch. And there are three constellations that are associated with Bethula or Virgo. And here they are. They're Coma, which means the desired one. Centaurus, which means the despised one. By the way, there's another Hebrew name for this constellation, which is Asmiath. And Asmiath means sin offering. The third constellation that's connected to Virgo is Boudis, or Budas, and it is the coming one. So here you have Virgo, the sign of a virgin, with a star that means seed, another star that means branch, desired one, despised one, and coming one, all wrapped up in the stars, the signs. The stars were given for signs to indicate Messiah. Also, the sign of Virgo or Bethula is associated with the Israelite tribe of Zebulon. What's interesting about that is that Zebulon settled in a very specific region in the Promised Land, where there was a city called Nazareth, out of whom came the Messiah. But all of this, folks, all of it was corrupted at Babel, and it's been corrupt ever since. Here's the problem. The stars exist to point people to the Lord. Babel was built to turn people to the stars. So the people began to worship the stars instead of the one who the stars were pointing toward. And we do that in our own lives as well. We begin to worship people instead of the Lord. We begin to worship traditions instead of the Lord. We begin to worship things or ideas that are supposed to point us to God instead of going directly to God. The Babylon or Babel was built for astrology. Why? For the purpose of propagating paganism. For the purpose of turning people away. Well, so is it okay to pick up my local horoscope at the store? Can I check that out? Listen, folks, on the horoscope thing, they're all about predict, predicting and guiding you into the future, right? God wants us to go to Him to understand the future. He wants us to seek Him out to know what to do and how to handle things in our lives. So Babel was built for astrology for true star power. Secondly, Babel was built for humanity. It was built for astrology. It was also built for humanity. This tower, pure and simple, was a massive monument to mankind. Look at what we can do. Look at what we can accomplish. And truly, mankind is capable of accomplishing a lot. Again, in verse 4, we read, Let us make for ourselves a name. Let's make a name for ourselves, the people said as they built. Now, I just have one question. Who were they trying to impress? We normally just say, I'm going to make a name for myself. You have someone in the back of your mind that you're thinking, I want them to hear my name. Problem is, on the earth at that time, there wasn't anybody else except the people working on Babel. So who was it that they were trying to make a name to impress? I'll put it to you that I think it was God. 
I think they were trying to impress God, trying to say, hey, you know, check us out. We have a name. It was the narcissism of Nimrod. A man set against the Lord. It, it was all about getting right up in God's face and going, hey, we have a name. Okay? We don't need your name. We have a name. We're making a name for ourselves. Be careful about doing that. About trying to make a name for yourself. About trying to be impressive. About trying to build yourself up. Revelation chapter 3 verse 1. Jesus speaking to one of the seven churches there said, I know your deeds, that you have a name. That you're alive. But you are dead. A little bit further on in Revelation 3 verse 12, Jesus said, He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. And he will not go out from it anymore. And listen to this, I will write on him the name of my God. And the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. And Jesus says, my new name. Now, if you're looking for a name, let me encourage you to get one of those names. The name of the city of my God. The name of my God. The name of Jesus, the new name. These are names worth having. Not our own name. These are impressive names. So Babel paid homage to humanity. It was built for astrology. But number three, Babel was built for unity. It was built for unity. That was the point. It says in verse 4 also, they, they said, otherwise, we don't do this. We will be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Now listen closely to this, because it is exactly what international leaders in our world today are looking for. One world unity. Let's get the world together. Let's get the countries together. Let's have a united nations. Let's, let's bond together. Let's use the internet. Let's use whatever we have and come together as a unified people. And you know, it sounds really good, but that's exactly what they were doing at Babel. Let's build together. Let's grow together. Let's make a name for ourselves. Let's band together. And it was absolutely, unequivocally contrary to God's will. It is not what the Father wanted. Flip in your Bibles real quick back to Genesis 9 and look at verse 1. The very first thing God says when Noah and his sons got off of the ark, He said, well, He blessed them, blessed Noah and his sons, and He said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and... What? Fill the earth. Fill the earth. And they said, Fill the earth? We're going to gather together in one place and build a tower. And God said, Fill the earth. No, we're going to stick together because we might be scattered abroad over the face of the earth. Yes, that's the point. Fill the earth. Spread out. Why was God so concerned with them spreading out across the face of the earth? And you think back again, they were the only people at the time, so it couldn't have been for evangelism. It, it couldn't have been to go to other countries to save other people because there were no other people. Spread out. Fill the earth, God said. Why? Because the people were banding together in unity. Well, what's wrong with that? Well, that doesn't seem like such a bad thing, right? To unify, to come together, to be close together, to build a one world government, maybe even a one world religion where we don't have all these divisive, you know, Muslims versus Christians versus Jews versus Hindus versus Buddhists. We could all just be one together. It sounds so good. And folks, it is from the pit of hell. The tragedy of this story is that the focus of Babel will be at the heart of the ultimate demise of mankind. A one world government, a one world unity will only result in a false peace that leaves people hopeless and helpless and hell bound. Let me continue in the story. Verse 6. The Lord said, Behold, they are one people. 
And they all have the same language. And this is what they began to do. And now nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. He recognizes what's going on. Verse 7, come, let us, and I love that it's us, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Trinity, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the whole earth and they stopped building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth. Babel that originally Babel, gateway to God, became Babel, confusion. God divided it all up. Why did he do it? What was so wrong with unity? I mean, I understand the star thing, that's fine, and I understand the, the human monument thing, but, but the unity thing, what's wrong with that? Is God just feeling threatened here? I don't think so. Was God controlling? Is that what the deal is? No, I don't think that either. There's a key verse in Scripture that applies to everything we do. From personal to group to church to business to government to worldwide aspirations and ambitions. And it's Psalm 127, verse 1. It tells us the following. Unless, unless the Lord builds the house... They labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. It is in vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Unless the Lord builds the house, unless the Lord builds the house, we labor in in vain who try to build it ourselves. We have two very simple options for our lives. And they are very simply, number one, we can build ourselves, our jobs, our careers, our relationships, our lives, or we can ask the Father to build. We can build ourselves, or we can ask the Father to build. But folks, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Why? Because the intent of man's heart is only evil always. Are you with me here? This whole idea of human unity. Don't miss this. This whole idea of banding together as humanity, as a one world. The problem is that the intent of man's heart, as the Bible clearly tells us, is evil. If the intent of man's heart at its very core was good, that might be a different story, but it's not the truth. And God has made that very clear in the foundation he lays in these first several chapters of Genesis. And so our story ends up with God confusing the language in verse 9, scattering them abroad over the face of the whole earth. Because His purpose is not temporal or temporary. God's purpose is far-reaching. God's purpose is eternal. Astrology is looking to the stars for guidance. Humanity looking to raise up a name for ourselves. And unity looking for human strength in numbers. And all three of these things are temporary and they completely miss the eternal perspective of God. We may band together to accomplish great things in this life, but God is concerned with saving us forever, not just for today. We sing, He he gives and He takes away. And we sing, even in hard times, blessed be the name of the Lord, why would you sing that? Because the hard times only exist in this life. There is a better life to come, an eternal life. And that's what God is working for. And that's what He is calling us to. Matthew 16, 26. Jesus said, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? 
What good is stargazing and monument building or even global unity if people spend eternity in hell? Who cares if we can unify our world if it's done for all the wrong reasons? If it's done just so we can be together? So back at Babel, God scattered man over the face of the earth because there was something bigger than Babel. There was something greater than Babylon, more wonderful than any human could have planned or imagined unity God's way. And we're getting back to that. So, so God does want unity. Yes, He wants unity. But He doesn't want unity the way we tend to go for it. He's not looking for a one world government, a one world religion. Unity God's way. Now listen closely to this. We're almost done. There came a day when the curse of Babel, the curse of Babel was reversed. Jerusalem, 9 a.m. Sunday the 6th of Sivan, A.D. 33. It was the Jewish feast of Shavuot, or you may know it as Pentecost. And twelve men were gathered together, and suddenly, Acts chapter 2, verse 2 tells us, there came from heaven a noise, like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves as they rested on each one of them, the twelve apostles. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. And listen to this, listen, don't miss this, for the first time since Babel, Everybody in all their different languages heard the same message at the same time. For the first time. What language was that? It was the language of the Holy Spirit. What message did they hear? The gospel of Jesus Christ. That Jesus was the hope of Israel, the long-awaited Messiah. That Jesus was nailed to a cross to pay for everyone's sin and to solve the problems of strife. That God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death. That God made Jesus, who was, both, who was crucified, he made him both Lord and Christ. Authority as a Lord and Christ our Savior. That was the message that was heard for the first time in all these other languages. And listen, when you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord, you receive a new language. You receive a new oneness as a member of the body of Christ. Galatians 3.28 says there's neither Jew nor Greek. That problem solved. There's neither slave nor free man. That problem solved. There's neither male nor female. Problem solved. All are one, Paul says, in Christ Jesus. Man, if we as the church, if we as a world were truly focused on Christ and led by the Spirit, all the barriers of language, nationality, even personal pride would fall away. Now quickly flip in your Bibles to John 17. I want you to see one last verse. John 17 in the New Testament. This whole idea of unity, you know, <laughs> it's funny to me, people will look at Christian people and they say, I know that you're paranoid. I know you think that we, you know, we're striving here to unite, and you Christians over there saying, oh no, not a one world government. I read it in my Left Behind series, it's not a good thing. Avoid that at all costs. And people must think, isn't there just a paranoia about that? And then again, the question is raised, why wouldn't God want people to unite? He does, but He wants us to unite His way. What way? Listen, John 17, verse 22. The glory, Jesus praying, the glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one. 
Just as we are one. How's that? I in them and you in me. That they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and have loved me even as you have loved or have loved them even as you have loved me. That's the unity that God longs for us to have. That God wants us to share. It's not looking to the stars to figure out where you're headed in life. It's looking to the Father. It's not raising up a monument to yourself. It's worshiping and glorifying Jesus. It's not even about unifying with other people around all kinds of different reasons. It's about finding the true unity which is only found in the shed blood of Jesus Christ bringing all people together. That's God's goal. That is God's plan. We need to stop babbling. We need to stop concerning ourselves with the things of the world that get so in our way. And we need to be as people banded together in unity. Folks, that's what the church needs more than anything else in the world today. Is to come together unified by love. Not constantly looking at all the differences. Oh, you meet in a barn. Well, we meet in a cathedral. So what? The church needs to come together and unify in love. And if you want a great prayer to help you stop babbling in your life, if you want something to help you focus on being more unified with other people and living your life as to the Father instead of for yourself, this is a great prayer. Psalm 131, verses 1 through 3. You might want to just jot it down and and just pray through it. We're going to pray through it right now. Go ahead and bow your heads as we lift up these words together to the Father. O Lord, my heart is not proud, nor my eyes haughty, nor do I involve myself in great matters or in things too difficult for me. Surely I have composed and quieted my soul like a weaned child rests against his mother. My soul is like a weaned child within me. O Israel, O Bridge Christian Fellowship, Hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever. God, would you, among us just here this morning, we don't seek the world, but just here today, would you help our language not to be confused and filled with strife and division? But Lord, may our language be truly the language of your Spirit that connects and brings all people together. Would you fill us up, Lord, with your perfect will, so that, Father, as we share with those around us in this place, in this region, the love of Jesus, it would not only be words of a language that will cease to exist someday, but it will be the language of love seen in our treatment of each other, in our love for each other, and especially in our love for you, Father. If there's anyone here who has not given their life to Jesus and you want to do that today, I want to give you a chance as we continue praying together in your heart before the Lord. Just pray the following. Lord, I believe that you came into this world and that you died and that you were resurrected again. That you took away the chains of death. And I believe... Jesus, that you are the Son of God. That you are Lord and Savior. And and I want you to be my Lord. 
So come into my life today, Jesus, and lead me from this day forward. Forgive me of my sins. I'm sorry for them. I, I confess them, lay them before you now. I recognize that everything I try to build just leads me into confusion. And so I want to build only with you. Take me under your wing and make me your child today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.